because the fact is, is that we oftentimes uh, don't know how to solve for what we can't see. Yeah. So we have to bring people to the table with the problems that we can't see because they weren't ours, uh, because we never bothered to listen or didn't hear them. But we need that diversity and we need it yesterday. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barato, and today's episode is sponsored by Witham. Witham is a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated Femtech team is proud to partner with members of the Femtech community. Get to know their team at witham.com backslash Femtech. Today's episode features my interview with Dr. Jane Van Deese. As an OB-GYN, this lady is quite the pioneer and in inspiration in Femtech. Let me tell you a few of the biggest roles she holds. First, she is the medical director at Maven Clinic, which is a well-known femtech company and one of the top 10 most well-funded femtech companies. Maven's pioneering virtual care model is built around women and families, delivering better outcomes and lower costs for everyone. Maven is setting a new standard of care for families across geographies, cultures, and backgrounds. Maven is the only global family benefit program that integrates care advocacy, telehealth, educational content, payments, and breast milk shipping in one vertical, which is a solution that supports all paths of parenthood. In addition to Maven, Dr. Van Dees is co-founder of Equity Quotient, a healthcare consultancy for gender and race equity in medicine. She's also the co-founder of Time's Up Healthcare, which is shedding light on sexual harassment experienced by the 80% of healthcare workforce, which is women. 50% of female medical students will experience sexual harassment before they graduate. Time's Up Healthcare is fighting for safe, equitable, and dignified workforce, which is the only way healthcare workers can provide high-quality patient care. If all that wasn't enough, Dr. Van Dees is a medical advisor to Portfolio's Femtech Fund, Flex, Modern Fertility, and Bobby. Needless to say, we were very grateful to grab a few minutes of her time to record this interview. Enjoy. Hi, Jane. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. I am really honored to have you on. Um, My podcast producer, Sue Wern, tells me a little bit about uh, the guests that are coming on. And she had the longest memo for you about all the things you're involved in. (laughs) And I said, Sue Wern, I said, I think she's me in five to 10 years. She goes, oh, yeah. And she's a mom. I was like, oh, my gosh, this woman. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how I do it. I do work nights clinically so that uh, frees up my days to work on other projects. Yeah, wow. 
you're amazing. Really already. I'm like blown away. I don't even know your story yet. I just have your resume and I'm like, wow, she's incredible. <laughs> um, well, let's start with your background. Our listeners always love to hear like, how did people end up in femtech? We usually don't, you know, as a kid in kindergarten say that's what we want to do, work on vaginas. Uh, so how did you end up here? Like, where did you grow up? What did you study? Did you have a career before this? And then what, what are you doing now? Yeah, so I actually had a career in landscape architecture, um, and I, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I love I love plants, and I love thinking about design. Um, so I, I am an artist and a writer before I was a doctor, um, but I had an ectopic pregnancy, and it was actually in the emergency room in 1995. Um, I had the most wonderful third year OBGYN resident who not only saved my life, but also uh, saved my humanity. Um, and I decided in the emergency room that night that I wanted to be her. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I'm not her, I'm someone else. But um, it really, I think, points to the power of our kindness, um, whether we're doctors or teachers or even, you know, the people who work at my grocery store, um, kindness goes a long way, a lot farther probably than some of us imagine. Um, and I have to tell you, when I was a fourth year med student, I entered uh, the American Medical Women's Association writing contest. They had an essay contest and I wrote about this doctor who changed my life. And um, I ended up winning the contest and she ended up flying out to Atlanta uh, where I accepted my award. And I can tell you, um, there wasn't a dry eye in the house uh, when I read uh, from the essay with her right there. Jane, so. when's your movie on Netflix coming out? <laughs> like, for real. <laughs> I'm like, that's a Netflix series right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it points to the fact that, you know, pregnancy and fertility and infertility and these journeys that we take to becoming a parent or being unable to become a parent when we want to, uh, they speak to really super core elements of how we experience life and our humanity and what it means to be a person and what it means to be a mother. Um, and these journeys are fraught with, um, you know, the greatest joys and sometimes the most devastating disappointments as well. And as the listeners probably know, um, you know, one in uh, 50 pregnancies is ectopic. So it's a very, very common uh, occurrence. Um, and it is one of the highest uh mortality rates for women in the developing world. Luckily, in the United States, we have access to, to surgeons and emergency rooms. But when you start bleeding internally, it, it can be really life-threatening. So yeah. I was just so thankful that um, uh, I was actually on uh, Medicaid. Uh, so I didn't have a job at the time uh, or health insurance. Um, uh, and I was staying with friends. And so uh, the taxpayers of Oregon um, saved my life as well. So wow. I'm a big proponent of universal health care. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, Jane, I already want you to be my best friend. Like, I'm like <laughs> we agree on a lot. We have a lot of similar stories. Like um, really quickly for our listeners, because we do have a bunch of listeners who are more uh, femtech consumers. So they don't yeah, know yeah, all yeah. the terms. What's an ectomic, ectopic pregnancy? Yeah, so ectopic is where the the fertilized egg stops, usually in the tube, most commonly. But um, crazy stuff happens. the The pregnancy can stop in the ovary. It can uh, stop basically anywhere in the abdominal cavity. Um, so yes, it's true that placenta with its um, 
uh, vascular bed can form a pregnancy um, anywhere in the abdomen. I know it's it's crazy to think about. It's a, uh, you know, children are an invasive species on their mothers. <laughs> um, you know, when people use the word parasite, it's not for no reason. Nope. Um, but, but yeah, so ectopic just means it's outside of the uterus. Um, yeah. Well, okay. All right. Wow. Well then obviously that definitely can be a problem. I can imagine. Right. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're inspired um, by the... your... Yeah. Sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. I just could just continuing your story. So you're inspired yeah, yeah, yeah. by this doctor and yeah. So, um, so I went into OBGYN. I was really, um, I was fascinated with the pathology of the reproductive tract. I thought the tumors that the ovaries made were um, way more interesting than the tumors that other organs in the body made. Um, but I also have always been a staunch advocate of women's reproductive rights and social justice. So that was an extra bonus for me becoming an OBGYN. Um, I will say I started the medical students for choice chapter at the University of South Dakota. Yeah, that didn't go over so well, but it continues to this day. So I'm, I'm super happy about that. Um, you know, we, we oftentimes uh, fail to recognize how some of our uh, sisters, mothers, aunts, cousins uh, who live in more rural areas of the country don't have the same access to reproductive health care that those living in urban areas do. Um, you know, we've seen so many rural hospital closures, uh, OBGYN practice closures. I'm sure the pandemic will accelerate both of those. Um, so it's really important to recognize how important uh, having access to reproductive rights are. And so hopefully with today's news out of Georgia, we can hope to, to turn the tide on some of these issues. I know, I have a little uh, like, um do do your part vote t-shirt for my little dog and so I took a little like photo shoot of him yesterday and I was like thinking about you Georgia come on you know I know come on Georgia uh, um so you know wow we have a lot of similar passions again I'm already anticipating us being friends uh so you're all about women's choice reproductive rights you almost had this you know life-threatening experience and you were saved by this amazing doctor so all of this inspiration, what did it boil up into? So I know you've started Maven, you're part of Maven and Equity okay. Quotient. So can you tell us about those? Yeah, so I, I actually started getting involved in telehealth in 2011. I was um, with HealthTap and uh, before, before even they monetized. And so I got to see how they built their digital platform. Um, and so then in 2016, when I heard about Kate Ryder's company, Maven, being a telehealth platform solely for women's health, I was ecstatic. I, I you know, signed up as soon as I heard about it um, and I started practicing on the platform. And, you know, I, I just love the idea of bringing healthcare to women where they were, meeting them where they were. Um, you know, one of my favorite encounters was with a woman who was calling uh, for a birth control prescription. Uh, she was walking down the street in Los Angeles. She had her Starbucks iced coffee, and she was obviously going from point A to point B. And I thought, what better time to get the birth control that she needs? Um, and and now, you know, at Maven, we have over uh, 25 different types of specialists in women's health and pediatric health. Um, and so we are meeting our clients and our members where they are. 
Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, what some of the barriers to healthcare are for people in different resource brackets of different uh, races and ethnicities. Um, and I know I was talking to someone the other day, you know, sometimes uh, transportation can be a barrier to healthcare. Sometimes having a babysitter can be a barrier to healthcare. So while I don't think that telehealth solves all of healthcare's ills, there are too many to list in this podcast, um, but telehealth can meet people where they are and it can break down some of those barriers to accessing uh, healthcare that they need. The other thing that I um, am just so excited about with Maven is, is that that we take a team approach to, to healthcare. So imagining uh, that a woman has given birth, you know, her OBGYN is just one provider. On Maven, we have pelvic floor physical therapists who might be helping her if she has postpartum urinary incontinence. We obviously have a lot of mental health specialists, given that one out of five women, even more now with the pandemic, are experiencing perinatal mood anxiety uh, and mood disorders. Um, we have lactation consultants for those women who uh, might have an engorged uh, duct or um, early signs of mastitis or not a good latch. Um, we have pediatric occupational therapists. So like imagining that healthcare is oftentimes never just one practitioner, but it's delivered by a team of practitioners, each of whom bring their unique experience and abilities to that patient. Um, I, that to me is really opening eyes and doors, hopefully, and and telling women that they should actually be expecting more from their healthcare. Yeah. Um, you know, if you have, I've, I've always said, you know, for my patients who have diabetes and pregnancy, um, you know, the way that medicine is scheduled, we don't have 25 minutes where I can tell you what the difference is between Danon and Chobani and Yoplait yogurt is in terms of carb count. Um, you know, we really rely on our diabetic educators, nutritionists, and dietitians to be able yeah. to spend that quality time because let's face it, uh, diabetes is a complex disease. Um, and, and the choices uh, for food actually begin at the at the grocery store, yeah. not not in the home even. And so giving women uh, the tools that they can make really great decisions about what to shop for and then how to prepare it and how to eat it, all of which can help their glucose control. Um, we, we have to recognize that a team approach to so many of these women's health conditions is absolutely the way to move forward. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be Maven's medical director. And then I also um, started out um, in 20, uh, was it 2015, I think, uh, as a, uh, an advisor to Flex. Um, Flex is a menstrual product company. They have uh, a cup and a disc. Um, uh, they started out with the disc and, and actually they brought me on even before they had product. So I really got to see the, um, the genesis or the, the birth, if you will, of a company, uh, that comes forward even, you know, even before product and how do they make a name for themselves and how do they build a brand and how do they build a brand with an equity lens too? that to me is something that startups in 2020 have to pay attention to. And I know many do. But it is an essential component of any, especially femtech startup, to, to yes. do everything uh, you do, whether it's communication, whether it's your product, whether it's uh, 
your um, marketing, whether it's uh, assessing your value add, everything has to be done through an equity lens. And, and companies, hopefully in their hiring, are, are managing to bring that equity lens. But if they're not, um, they need to be deliberate in making sure that they have, they're hearing all the voices that are necessary, not even for them to be successful, but for them to be a morally just company in 2020. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the femtech industry is doing a decent job of that? Yes and no. Yes and no. Like, you know, I don't want to diss on anyone, but, you know, I am so passionate about femtech in part because, you know, I don't want to see another pill club. I don't want to see another femtech <laughs> startup started by two bros in Silicon Valley yeah, who thought, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, let's make some money on women's yeah, health care. Yeah, um, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel the same way. I feel like we're better than a lot of industries, but at the same time, like we have so much more to do. That's why we, you know, at Femtech Focus have specific episodes about black women's health, Latina health, right? Because it's like, it, when we talk about like what, what is saturated and we say, oh, well, you know, uh, fertility is a pretty saturated area. And it's like, yeah, for affluent white women. But like, right. if you look at any, any other category of women, it's not helped at all yet you know oh my gosh exactly exactly um you you know and and I think the the hard part there too as many of these startups will tell you is that the the VC environment Mm -hmm. uh still has a long long way to go um when I whenever I hear um Lauren uh Shilti Wang she's the the founder and CEO of Flex um, you know, when she describes what it was like for her to go to Silicon Valley and ask for uh, seed funding for a menstrual product company, and everyone at the table was 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 a white male, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and many didn't couldn't wrap their mind around you know what it was that she was trying to sell, despite the fact that, you know, the, the menstrual product industry is worth, I think like 5 billion. I could be wrong on that, but it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, but still, you know, you see, you see people in, in business and finance and they'll, they'll say something like, oh, well, um, let me talk to my wife about this idea, or let me talk to my daughter. And, and the fact of the matter is, Maybe we should have other people at the table too. Yes, 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 hundred percent, hundred percent. I actually uh, I met Scott Kapoor from uh, A16Z, Adrian Horowitz, and uh, I asked him, you know, what? How are you empowering more women to control capital? And he started to go into this talk about how funding female founders is important. And I said, no, 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 no. Not my question. My question is, how do we get more women controlling the capital? Because if we do that, then we don't have to talk about funding female founders. <laughs> They'll automatically exactly. do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, then went on with a really fantastic answer. But I feel like our neuro pathway is females, entrepreneurship, funding female founders. Like there's no other neuro pathway that says like, how else can we think about women in entrepreneurship? Like maybe women in GP positions, maybe women's healthcare, you know? Yeah. And to that end, you know, I, um, I'm really passionate about, about exactly what you said, but also about supporting my female colleagues so I helped to admin a group of uh, almost 5,000 women OBGYNs. Um, we are a 501c3. We're the OB mom group. And um, what I want my colleagues in OBGYN to be thinking about if they are interested is 
I have a great idea. How do I get from my great idea to um, a, a pitch deck? How do I get ah. my pitch deck to a seed round? How do I get my seed round to a series A? And so I, I want to see women in women's health solving problems in women's health. I get it that people go to McKinsey and they come up <laughs> with great ideas. I don't want to say, you know, you have to be a women's healthcare provider to have a great idea. But I also want to see those of us who work in the trenches begin to think about how we might transition into an entrepreneur. Um, and so to that end, I really love uh, supporting my colleagues in women's health to to get there. A great example um, you guys are probably familiar with is Dr. Lindsay Harper, Dallas OBGYN with Rosie. Um, you know, another company that I've seen, you know, grow from a tiny little seedling into, um, into a company that wins awards now. Um, and so, you know, Lindsay is, is absolutely one of my sheroes. Um, but I know that there are other women out there doing amazing things yeah. and, and ideas yet to be born. Yeah. Uh, my co-founder, Dr. Julia Keem, pediatric gynecologist, inventor of a vaginal stent, because she was tired of using makeshift devices for her pediatric patients when they had reconstructive surgery or anything for their vagina. And she was like, how has nobody made a stent? They've made a stent for every other orifice of the body, except for my patient's vagina, you know? And so that's absolutely right. We need more doctors, um, you know, the doctors are generally, my understanding, MDs, doctors are risk adverse, right? Like you're dealing with life, so you True. should be risk adverse, right? And But getting them more comfortable with investing and inventing and going on the edge of stuff and like thinking outside the box, outside the textbook, right? Outside the flashcards. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, one of the, one of the biggest hurdles is in fact, the uh, requirements that they put on themselves, which mm -hmm. we know from data that women feel like they have to be 120% yeah. prepared yeah. and qualified in order to yeah. apply for a job. Yeah. Um, whereas men are comfortable in the 65 to 75% uh, range. How do we give women the confidence to say, you know, I might not have every single answer. I might not know every single iteration and algorithm of, of solving for this problem, but I know enough and I am going to, you know, I'm confident enough to convince others to invest in me. Yeah. Um, so th that too is a, a really important conversation I feel, you know, to have with women and, and to open up those spaces where they can, uh, feel free to fail. Yes. Um, likely, you know, as, as, as much as women prepare, they probably aren't going to fail. That's the truth. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a startup that did go under and closing that company was so emotionally stressful because I felt like I was letting down all female founders, you know, oh, no. I was, right. I had this, this internal sense of doom, like, oh my God, all I, you know, now that I failed, no, none of my investors will ever make a female founder investment again, which is not the case. <laughs> but like, I felt like I had that world, this gender world that I had to lift up. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I became a venture capitalist and I worked at a venture fund and um, I love, it was called Capital Factory. I love them. They're an amazing team, but working with the general partner showed me I could definitely be a VC. Like I thought like that was something that you needed to be like super duper financial expert, mathematician, MBA, business. And I right, was like, right, oh right, no, right. no, no, no. I could do this. Like I could totally do this. So yeah. uh, listeners, if you are like, thinking you're not ready, you're probably, you're probably ready yesterday. You're probably right? ready. <laughs> you're probably ready yesterday. Just go for it. Yeah. Um, 
Speaking of uh, equity in healthcare, I wanted to ask you, you know, for Maven being a telehealth service, um, obviously it's, it's more equitable because it's more accessible physically, right? But what about price point? Because I also was hearing you say like there's this team effort. Does the team make it more expensive or less expensive than if you saw these people individually? Tell me about that part of the equity. Yeah, so that's a really good question. You know, uh, we definitely have direct-to-consumer on Maven. So to, to your point, yeah, you know, the I think the price points are actually really reasonable, um, you know, especially, you know, if you're going to talk to a doctor versus a doula versus a nurse practitioner versus a lactation consultant. Um, uh, for mental health, you know, if you consider that uh, a one-hour uh, appointment with a LCSW or LMFT equivalent out in the community is oftentimes somewhere between 150 and $300 on Maven. It's about 70. Um, so really, really big price drop there. But, you know, the fact is, is that a lot of people access Maven through their employer. So um, for instance, we just launched with AT&T One One. Um, and it's a really exciting uh, partnership uh, AT&T is offering uh, Maven to all of its um, employees. So um, that means any man or woman uh, and their dependents can access uh, Maven and, and it's a benefit that AT&T provides. So um, a, a, lot of, a lot of people access Maven for free um, through their employer. Love um, it. And that, yeah, that's actually, I mean, when you think about it, you know, unlimited access to mental health, unlimited access to pediatricians and obstetricians and genetic counselors and reproductive endocrine and infertility specialists. I mean, it just, it blows your mind that um, employers recognize that they're, that employee health matters. And they recognize too, that, you know, 20% of uh, millennials identify as LGBTQ. Um, people are having families, they're having them in different ways. Um, and, and employees, if they want to retain great talent, they need to be able to meet the employees where they are um, and meet their healthcare needs. So I mean, you know, bravo to those companies that recognize that, right? 100%. So when I started the Femtech Focus podcast in March um, of last year, I can say that now officially in January. Right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I was so interested to see how many people I interviewed that said, oh, our business model is via HR. Like it's employers that actually pay for this. Like women don't actually pay for this. And I'm like, what? And it's ha I hear it again and again and again. And now hearing it through Maven, it is an amazing business model because it's like, well, if we want to like empower women because they're so unequivocally underserved by the healthcare system, it almost hurts to ask them for their money. You know, I love asking AT&T for the money instead of the woman. Right. And then just yeah. providing the service. Um, it's a, it, and as an investor, it's very sexy, right? It's a very sexy business model. Um, I'll, I just feel like there's just so many benefits to it. Is there ever a concern about data privacy? Oh, definitely. Um, and it's funny you say that because there was an article I want to say yesterday or the day before about companies uh, to companies with data privacy issues that ma make it so that you should consider avoiding these apps. Um, and one of our competitors, Ovia, was on that list. Um, so I, I think, you know, we uh, we have an upcoming partnership with Microsoft. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they they are doing incredible due diligence about data privacy in their yeah. relationship with us. 
So definitely, I think as a consumer, as, as, as someone who's accessing these benefits, maybe through their employer, I think it's always really good to ask about your data privacy. Um, you know, hopefully companies do the right thing, but they, they don't always. And so where does that compliance come from? And, and, you know, if it needs to come from the bottom up, from employees demanding it, well, then, then so be it. Yeah. But yeah, definitely great question. Yeah. Well, well, how would you recommend like, for, so for me, again, I, I believe I am a smart, intelligent woman, but if I was concerned about one of the apps on my phone, not having secure data privacy, I literally have no idea where to go or what to check on. So like, how would a, a consumer know? Cause I, I want consumers to use femtech products. So how do we tell them how to vet femtech products for that? Do you yeah, know? no, that's, that's a really good question. I feel like someone more educated than, than myself. I mean, I would, you know, honestly, I would Google because there have been articles about, about some of these apps. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it sounds like yeah. we need to do it a panel and a white paper on it because that I, sounds, I was actually asking that for myself right. too. <laughs> yeah. But let's, let's not end this uh, tech uh, podcast without talking about equity quotient, which is my baby. Yes, yes, yes. Please do. Yeah. So in, um, in 2017, um, I had gone through a me too moment and, uh, I looked at my then, I guess, nine-year-old daughter. And I said, if I don't actually make something, I really might not have the ability to expect that the workplace will be any better in, in 15 years for Mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I got together with Dr. Esther Chu. She's, um, uh, professor of emergency medicine at Oregon Health Sciences. And we created what we thought was going to be an app. So we we created an app that measures equity in the healthcare workplace. Uh, we ended up not using the app. And now it's, it's web-based. We use Qualtrics. Uh, but what we thought was we saw a lot of people wanting to address issues of equity in their workplace, be it uh, around gender, be it around race, be it around sexual uh, identity or orientation, you know, and and not necessarily having the diagnostic tools to, to know how to fix the problem, right? We, we've seen since uh, the George Floyd murder, a lot of companies come out saying that they are committed to addressing inequity in their workplaces. But the fact of the matter is, we argue that um, unless you do a really thorough and good diagnostic analysis of where inequity lives in your organization, uh, throwing money at solutions may or may not uh, benefit you, your your brand, your integrity, you know, and fundamentally how people show up and experience your workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's the tool that that we created. So we give employers uh, a dashboard of equity uh, measured in five key domains: safety, respect, value, hiring, pay, promotion, and overall culture. Um, so you know, our product is similar to say Culture Amp or Culture IQ, but we're dialing down into equity. Um, and and I I love our I love our tool. I think it's I think it's outstanding. Um, and so in this way, we are able to give uh, a CEO or a, a COO uh, 
a more detailed description of the types of steps that might be necessary to fix problems around equity in their organization, um, in addition to doing the obvious, which might be like a pay gap analysis mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or having an expert come in and look at their policies, maybe around family leave, maybe around hiring, pay and promotion, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, what we want to get at is what does it feel like to show up for work there? Um, and is it an equitable environment yeah. to work in? Yeah. Well, what if the results uh, show scandal? You know, like, well, how does CEOs handle that? And especially if they're the scandaler, if that's the right word, but. Yeah. So I, I think that that's such a great question. Um, and and the fact of the matter is, is I, I, I love this story because when Esther and I created our company, um, we were just so excited to release it into the world. And we thought that um, everyone would be calling us. We were absolutely sure that, you know, <laughs> that everyone was going to be like emailing us yeah. and knocking at our door. And the fact of the matter is, Brittany, uh, crickets, crickets. The fact of the matter is, is that asking these questions takes a level of bravery and courage yes. from the C-suite yep. that very few are able to muster. And yep. the fact of the matter is, is that we've seen so many decades of symbolic compliance around equity yep. that yep. they aren't actually used to looking under the hood and finding out what does it feel to work? Yep. What does yep. it feel like to work here? The opposite so of denial, of them, man. It is denial. And yeah. we saw that with, I don't know if you followed, you know, the uh, Indiana University CEO, uh, you know, his quote unquote apology for the treatment of Dr. Susan Moore uh, in his hospital, um, and, and he came off as as defensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came. I mean, the the only thing that was positive I thought about his statement was his commitment to an external review. Hopefully, that external reviewer is someone who speaks with truth and honesty and integrity yeah. about uh, what's broken in the system. Because what happened to Dr. Susan Moore is. A, a Swiss cheese of brokenness, right? Because it wasn't just one person. It wasn't just one unit. Um, it was a series of events uh, that had with them bias, whether it was conscious or unconscious. Uh, you know, he, his racism, you know, where he yep. said that she was, I can't even remember the words, but, um, you know, I, I loved uh, Dr. Joya Creer Perry. She's an OBGYN colleague of mine. And she said, you know, we as physicians, um, we often hide behind the technicalities of our language. We hide the racism behind the technicality mm-hmm. um, when we explain away an unfortunate event or a death or an adverse outcome. When the fact of the matter is, is that we haven't asked enough questions about the racism within our system to actually really even begin to fix the problem. And and that's what we at Equity Quotient, you know, what we want to do is we want to ask all the questions that get at the problem, because you can't fix the problem unless you ask those questions. That's right. right. Um, But corporate America, I'm so sorry, they deserve no passes because they have, they have been uh, doling out, you know, sexual harassment training videos that do nothing, unconscious bias training that does nothing, and they're really not fixing the problem. Mm-hmm. And and thankfully, people are demanding uh, more transparency and more integrity in addressing issues around harassment, discrimination, and equity justice. 
You are Sorry. amazing. You are amazing. <laughs> I like, seriously, we're going to talk more. I know you're a busy woman. You got to go. I have two last really quick questions. Okay. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that listen. Um, if there is an area in women's health that needs more innovation, what is it? Well, I, I think fundamentally, um, I, I'll go back to equity. I think that, you know, we haven't solved how to deliver healthcare equitably, especially to under-resourced women. Um, and so I think there's a lot of solutions around equity that, that need to be addressed. Um, I recognize that, that sometimes it's fun to chase after um, uh, well-resourced persons, um, you know, who have the ability to purchase an app or purchase a service or something like that. But when you look at huge problems, um, that, that to me is, is one of the biggest, you know, and you know, another one that comes to mind is endometriosis. You know, we have one in 10 women suffering from endometriosis, oftentimes debilitating, debilitating menstrual cycles and pain, um, there are just so many aspects of women's healthcare that deserve more attention, more resources, more funding, more, uh, more everything, so that women can show up uh, as mothers, as uh, as as workers, as entrepreneurs, as CEOs, um, and have someone else helping them solve some of their healthcare issues. I love it. And our last question is: What do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? I, I I like your idea. I like the idea of giving uh, women and persons of color and black women capital. Yep. Just give them the money. <laughs> like give them the money. money. We have to bring people to the table with the problems that we can't see because yeah. they weren't ours, uh, because we never bothered to listen or didn't hear them. But we need that diversity and we need it yesterday. And we need it yesterday. Jane, you are incredible. You are a boss, babe. You're my new favorite Thank you. friend. Um, you're awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Brittany. And um, I hope we get to talk again soon. Oh, we will. I know it. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Jane Van Dees. We really did cover my favorite topics today, including accessibility and equity in healthcare through telehealth, doctors turning into entrepreneurs, and employers realizing their employees' healthcare needs really matter. I definitely recommend checking out Maven at mavenclinic.com. By using their platform, Maven Clinic patients have 20% less C-sections, 32% less NICU admissions, and 36% of patients avoid a trip to the ER. Obviously, what they're providing is working and sheds light on how current healthcare delivery is outdated. Already Fem fans, if you want to stay connected to Femtech Focus, then join our virtual community, which is growing like crazy. We recently launched our Fem Pro membership in the community, which gives you access to a library of recorded Femtech content and free tickets to our Femtech Fundamental events. Femtech Fundamentals is a bi-weekly workshop to help founders build, launch, and succeed. We also have our Monday night podcast listening parties, a new Femtech book club, and weekly office hours on Clubhouse. To register for these services and events, go to femtechfocus.org and subscribe to our newsletter and join our virtual community. 
While there, please consider setting up a recurring donation to Femtech Focus, which is a 501c3 nonprofit and relies on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Mm-hmm.